0: Alaska itself is an unusual state. Fareed Zakaria
1: Violin Vice contains graphic and explicit content which may not be suitable for some listeners. Listener discretion is advised.
0: welcome to Violin vice i am john, john
1: and i'm Audie. hello
0: and if you haven't already please hit subscribe give us five stars leave a review all that stuff helps us just spread our words to whoever you think might be very influential or should hear us or whatever but uh you know all that stuff helps us out and you know lets us know that you're listening it's fun stuff
1: yeah yeah yeah
0: Now, Audie. Yes. I'm going to be taking us on a bit of a folklore fun workaround type thing.
1: Ooh, yeah.
0: But as the quote mentioned before, it's going to be in Alaska. So a place even colder or essentially more wild and woodsy than our pumpkin asses are used to in Wisconsin here.
1: You know, and today's a good day for that, because it's negative 9 degrees outside, at least where I am.
0: For you. Well, it was negative 20 this morning up here, okay? Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Why do
1: we live where the air hurts our face?
0: That is a great question. (laughs) Oh. Well, I'm going to be telling about this particular folklore monster for the Inuit natives up in Alaska. It'll be... When you look at Alaska, there's the part that sticks out way at the bottom in like a weird semicircle fashion. It's from that point down along the coast of Alaska where this is going to be originated from. It is a monster called the Kushtaka. And they are, which I think the translation means land otter man.
1: Okay, I was going to say, because I have never, ever heard of the Kushtaka before.
0: I hadn't either. I was just browsing through stuff, and I saw this thing, and I was like, well, this is kind of cool. I like otters. Otter people sounds cool. What will be going on with this? Well, they are mythical shape-shifting creatures found in the folklore of the Tlingit peoples of that Pacific Northwest coast. So even into Canada a bit along that coast. So the these are essentially um like that alone doesn't allude to their otter basic form type stuff, but so physically Kushtaka are shapeshifters capable of assuming a human form and the form of an otter, as well as potentially other forms, as well as a combination of these things. So in some accounts, a kushtaka is able to assume the form of any species of otter. In others, it's also only just one, depending on which stories these come from. Now, accounts of their behavior seems to conflict with one another a lot as well. So in some, the kushtaka are cruel creatures who take delight in tricking poor Tlingit sailors to their deaths. In others, they are friendly and helpful, frequently saving the lost from death by freezing, which is possible for many people today, with it being so freaking cold.
1: I hope they're nice, because otters are usually so cute. I mean, I would trust an otter. It's just like a river doggo.
0: Well, the river otters and sea otters are very different creatures. They look similar. One's a little bit fluffier. The other one's more like that sleek, sports-line type feel I guess if you want to compare him like a car but uh there's weird things about otters as well that's maybe not okay but in many stories about the kushtaka they save this lost individual by distracting them with curiously otter-like illusions of family and friends as they transform their subject into a fellow kushtaka thus allowing him to survive the cold now naturally this is counted as a mixed blessing however kushtaka lessons uh legends are not always pleasant wherein some it is said that the kushtaka will imitate the cries of a baby or the screams of a woman to lure victims to the river and once there, the Kushtaka either kills the person and tears them to treads, or will turn them into another Kushtaka again. So, there's that variety of things. But let me just read some excerpts from this website called Only in Your State about Kushtaka and Alaska, because it's pretty entertaining read throughout the entirety, and it's not all that long. But from the start, the title is just called This Alaska Legend Will Send Chills Down Your Spine. Alaska has some absolutely incredible animals. But is there a more adorable animal than an otter? Oddie? You might have confirmed this before we even got here.
1: I mean, they're adorable. (laughs) If you watch Finding Dory, they play a big part in the conclusion. And, I mean, they hold... They hold their significant otter's hands so they don't drift apart in a river. It's just adorable.
0: Oh, no, that's true. That is one of the things they are very known for. And they even do so while they're still sleeping. Yeah. It's cute.
1: It is adorable.
0: (laughs) So, continuing on, you probably can't imagine that sea otters could ever be connected with a creepy legend. But the Tlingit people have a legend about the playful creatures that will send chills down your spine, and it's Hard to find a more charming, adorable animal than the sea otter and quite a few otters call Alaska home. Now Alaska's sea otter population was completely decimated during the 19th century due to the fur trade, which is bad, but it was reintroduced in the 1960s. Now today the state has a population around 26,000 of these playful creatures. And while we might think these animals are the sweetest things on the planet, the Tlingit people have a legend about them that will keep you up at night.
1: And now a word from our sponsors. Do you guys like good quality clothing? And do you prefer the color black? Well, you guys should check out ravenyx.com. That's R-A-V-E-N-Y-X.com. You'd be helping a small business, and they have a wide variety of clothing, everything from sandals, boots bags, to dresses and skirts and tops. I personally got their flowy top, and I absolutely love it. I'd recommend them highly. You can use the code Vilevice to get 40% off. That's capital V-I-L-E, capital V-I-C-E, for 40% off. Now, back to the show.
0: Now... Location-wise the coastal Tlingit people live in Alaska and Canada and have a known history going back at least 10,000 years of living in this cold coastal region which I find is just both very fascinating and Just like why you could just move if you wanted to I'm sure it would be fine but traditions have to be kept alive. Now the Tlingit believe that some otters are actually shapeshifters that look like men. These creatures have an evil purpose to trap their victims' souls and prevent them from reincarnating. Now these shapeshifting otters are called either Kushtaka or Kushtaka. The legend goes like this As you're walking through your village, or hunting in woods, or fishing in the sea, a man, or group of men, approach you. These men look like kinsmen, and you don't have a clue that they're really the Kushtaka. In some cases, these malevolent creatures appear when you're lost or injured, and claim that they intend to rescue you. However, they lead you deeper into the wilderness, and either tear you into pieces, or turn you into a Kushtaka which prevents your soul from being able to reincarnate. Now, groups of kushtaka are especially dangerous. They might lure you toward them by screaming or making noises that sound like women or children in distress, but once they see you coming, you'll never escape. Now, the very cuteness of otters is what makes the kushtaka so dangerous, according to the Tlingit people. Because we're so drawn to their playful nature, it's easy to miss the fact that these shapeshifters really want to consume our souls and condemn us to spend eternity wandering the frozen tundra.
1: To kind of go off of that, though, if I were to ever get kidnapped, it's because somebody offered me a puppy or something like that.
0: Yeah, I can see it. I can see that.
1: Yeah. I mean, they're just so (laughs) darn cute. Uh, of course my soul would be st- stolen by the Kushtaka.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I would want to go say hello.
0: Just like these otters are just playing and then they literally wave you over to come play with them. Who says no to that?
1: Exactly. Monsters.
0: Monsters say no to that.
1: Exactly.
0: <laughs> now, luckily, Adi, there is at least one safeguard against the Kushtaka capture. Alaska's second cutest animal is the one that's plentiful around the region. Doggies.
1: Doggies, of course.
0: The Kushtaka are supposedly terrified of dogs. Luckily, Alaska has plenty of furry, fearsome sled dogs to keep its villages safe from harm. It's said that fire might be another effective way to keep the shape-shifting otters away. And Alaskan mothers are fond of this legend and tell it to their children to keep them from wandering too far from home. Have you ever heard of this spine tingling tail? I have not but yeah. So a little bit more going into the sea otters as well. There are, uh, five important facts to know about otters that I should explain. Number one is they're believed to be the most intelligent non-human species on the planet not pot- like amongst the dolphins dogs and uh the apes like chimpanzees gorillas orangutans and stuff like that otters is on that list
1: i figured because they use like rocks as tools when they like eat oysters and clams and everything like they're they're functioning like that same as mm-hmm. like apes and everything else
0: exactly and I'm, number two.
1: I'm sorry, oh. quick side tangent. I don't know if you have TikTok or not, but there's this dog on TikTok that has different buttons that have words. And like he can say want ball or want food or whatnot. And <laughs> like he knows what the words mean and what buttons to push. It's pretty impressive.
0: I did see one on TikTok that was similar to that, but it was with a cat. And of course, it had to be sad because. The other person in the relationship with the cat was gone and they were saying want them and they couldn't because they were gone. It was super sad and cute.
1: Oh, that's so sad.
0: I know. But anyway, back to otters. Number two, there is evidence that they have endured for more than 30 million years. So if you use a time machine to go back a very long time, you'll probably find otters number three they have been known to create tools where they refine the rocks they used to smash these hard shell fish type stuff they could just grab a rock and smash it but they've been seen smashing rocks against each other to make one rock more useful at this thing so honing tools which is part of why they are considered so intelligent now number four every continent Except Australia and Antarctica has an otter population of some kind. Either freshwater, saltwater. I don't know why I have to specify that. They aren't fish, but there is a difference between the two of them. But there's otters in every continent.
1: Except Australia. I'm surprised because, like, you know, they have, like, everything there.
0: Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if there's, like, a marsupial that sort of fills that niche down there. Or like a combination of two different ones that would fill that niche. I would assume that the platypus is in on that particular thing, but they aren't exactly very populated.
1: They also everywhere. lay eggs, too.
0: Yes, they do. Platypuses are weird. Number five. If the legendary southeastern Alaskan Kushtaka is any indication, they would like to steal your soul. <laughs> Now, the kushtaka has been treated in some literature as a boogeyman or hobgoblin. Ho ho ho, ho.
1: Bringing it the, back to the goblin episode.
0: <laughs> I know, I saw that and I'm like, I have to include this now. Yes. This is inaccurate and does not honor how seriously the Tlingit feels the threat of the land otter people. In a sense, the kushtaka deprived the victim of everlasting life, for his soul could not be reincarnated which is a very large part of the Tlingit religious or spiritual belief structure. Now the land otter lurked to save, that is to capture those who drowned or who became lost in the woods. Now the unfortunate captives were taken by land otter people to their homes or dens and unless rescued by a shaman, were themselves turned into land otters. often appear in the form of relatives or friends to confuse the victim dogs have been used for protection against them for not only were the animals afraid of dogs but the dogs barking forced the land otter people to reveal themselves so not only were they afraid but dog barks that kind of reverts their form to the original state and small children were thought to be the most in danger of being captured by these land otter people and were warned not to wander off from parents or to venture away from home by themselves so that is sort of the big purpose of why it is so so feared by the Tlingit people is that they steal your soul and keep it from being reincarnated Which essentially meant that your further existence would cease to be. So that's why they were considered way more dangerous than you or I would have considered this growing up. So, yeah. Well, that's information on the Kushtaka. But now I have some stories.
1: Ooh, are they going to be spooky stories?
0: Sort of. It's more of like the folk tales that are most known about these. So I'm sure at least one of our listeners may have come across these stories at some point. And there is a book that can only be gotten in, in Alaska. That is It's called the, Grit, the Strangest Story Ever Told. And it's about these Kushtaka as well. I feel I should mention it. But I looked up where you could possibly buy or, like, borrow, like, a library from it, and it's only from Alaska, which is weird. I'm sure there's other ways to get it, but, like, six different searches led me to that. So it was weird, but if you're in for spooky reads or folklore reads, I would suggest it. Now, this story... Is just one of the many legends of the kushtaka the young Klingit girl i was carrying taking care of clutched me shivering and terrified her dark eyes dilated don't leave me or they'll take me who i asked the kushtaka she whispered afraid to say it too loud in case they heard we had just been told that the house we were staying in had been built on, at least it was rumored, a native graveyard. It was late at night, and the girl who was too scared to sleep. I let her stay on my bed and talked with her about unimportant things until dawn began to shimmer through the windows and she finally fell asleep. My sister Megan recently told me that for a long time she believed the kushtaka, often pronounced Kustika were frighteningly real, mainly because my oldest brother, Jamie, loved to regale us by kerosene lamplight with spine-chilling tales of the supernatural horrors the Kushtaka were capable of. Just outside our darkened windows crouched the huge, sinister silence of the wilderness that surrounded us and cut us off from the world. My two little brothers were so terrified to refuse to go out at night alone and had to be accompanied on wood-hauling trips after dark. Now an adult, my brother Robin shared with me the memory of her uncle Rory, telling late-night Kushtaka stories during a hunting trip to uninhabited islands deep in the wilderness. One morning, Robin and my youngest brother Chris were hunting along the beach, and came across a dead animal of some sort, very hairy and grayish. Couldn't tell what it was, but it... Sure as hell scared the hell out of us. These terrifying creatures originated in native Alaskan folklore, passed on orally for generations. In modern times, the half-human, half-otter Kushtaka are identified with Bigfoots, ETs, various boogeyman and supernatural beings. They are the subject of horror novels, short stories, blog posts, YouTube clips, newspaper articles, non-fiction books, and conspiracy theorists. A recent book seeking to understand the Kushtaka put it this way. The Kushtaka, the mythical shape-shifting creature of the Tlingit people. A beast capable of taking your darkest fears and manifest them into a hellish reality. A horror novel about these creatures also summarize. Mark wakes up in his Alaskan cabin alone. His greatest fears are realized when he is tormented by the malevolent Kushtaka, the most ancient and evil demon of Alaskan folklore. The battle is not for his life, but for his very soul. Stories of Kushtaka are told to everyone visiting Southeast Alaska who ventures out into the deep wilderness. This one is a particular experience. Called this, There's Something Out There. As a cook slash deckhand slash housekeeper of a guide boat, I was exhausted. I got up at 6 30 a.m. to make bag lunches and cook breakfast, and I usually didn't get to my bunk until after midnight, sometimes not until 2 30 a.m. So to catch up on my sleep, I napped in the wheelhouse when the guides and clients were out all day. Today, though, two of the clients had stayed behind, and they felt impelled to wake me. They sounded as if they really wanted to be cool and casual, but couldn't quite pull it off. Since we were in a lonely bay many miles from the nearest town, I asked, Something? Could you describe it? They just stared at me for a moment. Finally, the older one said, Something strange awful. There was no attempt to be casual now. Come outside. You can hear it. I sighed. Not that long ago, the two non-Alaskan guides had gotten me up out of a dead sleep in the middle of the night, claiming something had bumped into the hull. They ran from one side to the other, peering into the still dark water where we were anchored for the night and asked me to turn on the big mast light. I did so. They talked in hushed voices about the possibility of monsters, of the Kushtaka. Everyone knew there were frightening creatures in the wilderness. They asked me what I thought it was since I'd grown up in the bush. I could have told them all the spooky Kushtaka stories from my childhood, but I was tired. A log, I said, and went back to bed. I fell asleep to their whispered voices and feet pacing from one side to the other, directly overhead. Now, the clients were spooked, too. I got up and went outside with them. It was a beautiful, peaceful evening with sunset color beginning to gather in the sky and reflect on the placid bay. The surrounding endless forest was turning black. Javelin tips silhouetted against the glowing sky. We appeared to be the only humans left on the planet. Our boat, the only safe haven from the wilderness. The clients crowded close. Just listen, they urged, very low-voiced. They're out there. I listened. A moment later, a horrible, guttural cry echoed across the still water, something between a sepulchral howl and threatening roar. It had a strange, unearthly afternote, something like a Harley being revved at one end of a long tunnel. There it is, they exclaimed. You heard it, didn't you? We told you something was out there. They were right. Something was. It's a sea lion, I said, and went back to bed.
1: (laughs) This person could not be bothered to stay awake.
0: No, but still, that tends to be the case. If you're not used to certain wildlife noises or haven't heard them before they can really freak you out like first time i heard coyotes yelping it did sound like babies crying and i wasn't exactly sure what it was then i found out it was coyotes
1: yeah i'm pretty sure i thought a dog was hurt or something or maybe cats mm-hmm. fighting, and something along those lines. And I was like, I need to save them.
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's really unsettling.
1: Hey, guys. So, I have a really fun game to tell you guys about. It's called SherlockInYourHomes.com. That's S H E R L O C K I N Y O U R H O M E S.com. Now, you guys are given a list of suspects, and you can eliminate suspects and find the murder weapon by going through the rooms and solving puzzles and playing games. And it's so much fun. You guys can play as you go, and you have 30 days to solve the murder, or you guys could accept the challenge and see if you guys can beat John John and I's time on solving this murder mystery and do it correctly. So, I've only had one sitting so far, but as soon as we do solve it, we'll post both Jaja and I's time on the website, and we want to see how many of you guys can beat us. So, go to sherlockinyourhomes.com now to play the game and start today. Now, back to the
0: show. Now, I have some classical folklore stories from the Tlingit uh, tribes, at least in a recorded way. Now, this next story is called The Land Otter's Son. There was a great famine at Sitka, and all the people went halibut fishing. Then a certain man went with his wife to the mouth of Redau Bay. He had prepared barks some time before, and when they got to this place, they made a house out of them. They fished for a long time, but caught no more than one or two halibut a week. At the end of two months, they had little to live on except shellfish and other things picked up at low tide. One evening, they caught a small halibut at their fishing ground. They cooked a piece of it and put the rest on the drying frame in the brush house the man had constructed outside. Next day, they heard a noise as if something were being thrown down and moved about. The woman said, What can that be? Then her husband went out and was astonished to see two medium-sized devilfish lying there. He wondered how they got gotten up from the beach. Then he went in and said, Wife, I am in luck. There are two large devilfish out there. I don't know who brought them. Tomorrow morning... We will take them and see if we cannot catch some halibut. The person who brought them here is very kind, for I have been hunting everywhere, vainly for bait. The woman sat down and considered. She said, Do you know who brought them here? He said, No. Then she said, I will tell you who brought them here. Don't you remember that my son was drowned a year ago? and no one has seen anything of him since. It must be he who has taken pity on us because he sees how poor we are. I will call his name if I hear anyone whistle tomorrow or any other night, for I know it is my son. So the woman spoke. In the morning they went out with these devilfish and caught two halibut. Evening came on after they had... Reached home and it was dark, they began to cook some hell of it. Just as the woman was putting something into the pot, a person whistled behind the house. Then she said, We have longed for you, my dear son. Come in. Don't whistle around us. We have been wishing for you for the last year, so do not be afraid. It is only your father and I. Come in. Then it whistled again. The man went to the door, opened it, and said, Come in, my son. I think you have come to help us because we are very poorly off here. The door is open. Come right in. And without their seeing him enter, all of a sudden he was seated opposite them with his hands over his face. Then they spoke to him again, saying, Is it you, my son? He only whistled by drawing in his breath. That was the way he spoke to them toward midnight he began to to speak the father said is it you my son the land otter man kushtaka said yes he motioned to them that there was something outside which he had brought for them it was some more devilfish. he said in the morning we will go out the woman gave him a pillow and two blankets for the night and he slept on the other side of the fire so early in the morning that it was yet dark he took his father by the feet and shook him saying get up we will go out he told him to take his fishing line and they carried down the canoe then the land otter man stepped in and his father followed his father gave him a paddle canoe went flying out to the halibut ground it was his son's strength that took them there so quickly then the land otter man suddenly stopped the canoe he took the line and baited a hook with one devilfish tentacle he baited all of the hooks and lowered them then he tied the end of the line to the seat he said to his father put the blanket over you do not watch me his father did so, but observed him through a hole in the blanket. The land otter man, without causing any motion in the canoe, jumped overboard, went down the line, and put the largest halibut he could find on their hooks. When he came in, he shook the canoe, and his father pretended to wake up. He gave the line to his father, who began to pull up. Very many big halibut began to come up which he clubbed and threw into the canoe as fast as he could. Then he turned the canoe around and started for home. The canoe was full. On the way, the land otterman was in the bow, holding the spear. After he had held it there for a long time, he threw it. His father could not see that he had thrown it at a large seal. He brought it close to the canoe, gave it one blow to kill it, and threw it into the canoe. When they came ashore, it was almost daybreak. Then, motioning to his father that the raven might call before he reached shelter, he ran straight up into the woods. Now the man's wife came down and began cutting up the halibut. By the time they had it all into the house, it was dark. The same evening, before they knew it, he was with them again. Then the man took some pieces of raw halibut cut them into bits, and placed them before him. He turned his back on them and ate very fast. He could only eat raw food. About a week later, they told their son not to go into the woods at night, but to stay with them. So he did. When he wanted to go fishing, he would awaken his father while it was still dark, and they would start off. Each time, they brought in a load of seal, halibut, and all sorts of things. They began to have great quantities of provisions. After that, they began to see his body plainly. His mouth was round, and long hair had grown down over his back to his buttocks. He took nothing from his father and mother but raw food. Sometime after they began to pack up to come to Sitka, he now talked to them like a human being and always stayed with them. He helped load their canoe, and his father gave him a paddle. Then they set out. The land otter man in the bow, his father in the stern, and his mother in between. When they came to Poverotny Point, the woman saw the shadow of her son's arm moving, his hands which held the paddle being invisible. She said to her husband, "'What is the matter with my son? "'He does not seem to be paddling. "'I can only see his shadow now.' So she moved forward to see whether he was asleep or had fallen into the water. Her son was not there. The blanket he had around his knees was there, but he was gone. She said to her husband, "'Your son is gone again,' and he replied, I cannot do anything anymore he's gone how can I bring him back so they went on to Sitka when they came to Sitka they reported all that happened the father said my son helped us just as we got around the point of he disappeared out of the canoe so his friends gave him a a feast for him Ilis father's name was Saki the place where they fished for halibut is now Saki-idi. So that was like a good like friendly story of these otter people.
1: So the son was the otter
0: people. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. Well, the son had drowned. And so otter people, I guess, took him and made him an otter po- people so he would survive.
1: Got it. And he just couldn't go to Saki.
0: I think he couldn't be around people, then how- but since they were secluded, like uh, large groups of people and stuff like that, because dogs.
1: Oh, oh, okay, gotcha, gotcha.
0: Okay. Now, the last two I have, this one, is also from like the same group of stories. This one's called The Land Otter Sister also set originally in Sitka. A man set out from Sitka to a certain camp with his children in order to dry halibut, again, halibut, for in those days, that was how they got had to get their food. It was springtime. Then too, they had stone axes and used small half baskets for pots in which to do cooking. His wife and children spent all of their time digging clams, cockles, and other shellfish down on the beach and and laying them aside for future use. The man, in the meantime, was hewing out a canoe with his stone axe. They had a hard time, for they had nothing to live on except the things picked up at low tide. Many years before, this man's sister had been drowned, but so long a Time had passed that he had forgotten her. She, however, had been taken by the land otters and was married among them, having many children. From around a neighboring point she was watching him. Her children were all working to collect a quantity of food. After this, the woman's husband told her to take a lot of food to her brother. All the land otter people are called point people. They have plenty of halibut seal etc so she began packing these things up to take them to her brother in front of his dwelling house her brother had a house made of branches and one evening he heard someone come in front of his house and seemed to lay down a heavy pack there then the person said the place where you are stopping is wonderfully far from us he went out and saw a woman but did not know who she was because her arms were grown to her breast and her mouth was thrown open with her upper lip drawn up under her nose but the woman could see how he felt so she said to him it is i i am your sister who lives a short distance away around this point Then she brought the basket into her brother's house and said to him, Take the things out of the basket, for I have to return before the raven's call. Next evening she came back with another full basket. This time she said, You have three nephews who will come over and help you get halibut and other things. So the little otters came to their uncle. From their waist up, they looked like human beings. Below, They were otters, and they had tails. Their mother came with them and began to take her brother's children on her lap, saying, Little tail, little tail growing down. As she sang, tails began to grow down from them. Then their father looked at them, became angry, and said, What are you doing to my children, anyway? Immediately she slapped them on the buttocks and said, up goes the little tail, up into the buttocks, and the tails went up into their buttocks. After his nephews had stayed with him for some time, the man said within himself, I have no devilfish for bait. And the same evening, the young fellows were gone after it. Although it was high tide, many devilfish were found in front of the house. The young otters called good weather bad and bad weather good one day they went out with their uncle to fish and when he put his line down with a buoy on it the little otters all jumped into the water they went down on the line and put on the hook the biggest halibut they could find after they had brought in the canoe loaded twice their uncle had an abundance of provisions In the evening the otters had worked so hard that they fell asleep on the opposite side of the fire with their tails close to the blaze. Then their uncle said to them, Your handy little tails are beginning to burn. On account of those words, all became angry and left him, going back to their father. Then the man's sister came to him and asked what he had said to his nephews. He said, I simply told them that their clothes were beginning to burn on them so the otters father tried to explain it saying to them your uncle did not mean anything when he said your clothes were beginning to burn he wanted only to save your clothes now go back and stay with him so they got over their displeasure and went back all that time the man was working upon his canoe he said within himself I wonder how my canoe can be gotten down next morning his nephews went up put their tails under it and pulled it down when they got it to their uncle's house he loaded the canoe and started home with them but quite near his town he missed them out of the canoe then all the people there wondered where he could have gotten a canoe load of such things as he had he gave everything to his friends then his wife said to the people something came to help us we have seen my husband's sister who was drowned long ago and that is the way we got help afterwards he went back to the place where he had received assistance but saw nothing of those who had helped him he hunted all about the place from which his sister used to come but found nothing except land otter holes he became discouraged and gave up searching the end So that one was sort of an in-between of just good stuff and possibly scary things. Yeah. Because, I mean, the sister tried to give his children tails and turn them into land otters as well.
1: Yeah, but it was just her boys that were land otters that disappeared, mm-hmm. right?
0: Yep. But she was one, her husband was one. So, they don't have to make more land otters by finding victims and stuff like that. So, I don't know. It's a weird, spooky dynamic.
1: Yeah, a little bit.
0: Yeah. Now, this one's a little darker. And this is the last one I have for today. This one's called the Land Otter's Captive. Several persons once went out from Sitka together when the canoe upset and all were drowned except a man of the Kiks Adi. A canoe came to this man and he thought that it contained his friends, but they were really land otters. They started southward with him and kept going further and further until they had passed clear around the Queen Charlotte Islands at every place where they stopped they took in a female land otter all this time they kept a mat made out of the broad part of a piece of kelp over the man they had captured until at length they arrived at a place they called rainy Vigin, rainy village at this place The man met an aunt who had been drowned years before and had become the wife of two land otters. She was dressed in a groundhog robe. Then she said to him. Your aunt's husbands will save you. You must come to see me this evening. When he came his aunt said I can't leave these people for I have learned to think a great deal of them. Afterward, his aunt's husbands started back with him. They did not camp until midnight. The canoe was a skate, and as soon as they they came ashore, they would turn it over on top of him so that no matter how hard he tried to get out, he could not. And making the passage across to Cape O'Maney, they worked very hard. And shortly after they landed, they heard the raven. They could go only a short distance for food. When they first started back, the woman had said to her husbands, Don't leave him where he can be captured again. Take him to a good place. So they left him close to Sitka. Then he walked around in the neighborhood of the town and made the people suffer so much every night that they could not sleep and determined to capture him they fixed the rope in such a way as to ensnare him but at first they were unsuccessful finally however they placed dog bones in the rope so that they would stick into his hands dog bones being the greatest enemies of the land otters late that night the land otter man tore his hands so with these bones that he sat down And began to scream and while he was doing this they got the rope around him and captured him when they got him home he was at first very wild but they restored his reason by cutting his head with dog bones he was was probably not so far gone as most victims then they learned what happened to him after this time however He would always eat his meat and fish raw. Once, when he was among the halibut fishers, they wanted very much to have him eat some cooked halibut. He was a good halibut fisher, probably having learned the art from the land otters, though he did not say so. For a long time, the man refused to take any, but at last consented, and the food killed him. The End So, this person got captured. They did fully turn him into a land otter without quite reaching his own knowledge. But also, he was kind of scared and rejected from that land otter group. So, they left him back with the people in Sitka who thought he was a land otter and just tried to get away. Get him like a either a cure or just make him not a problem anymore. Makes sense. But, uh, yeah. That is Kushtaka, the land of Alaska. Nice,
1: nice, nice. Very nice job.
0: So what do you think, Ody? think we should probably take a trip up to Alaska, see some family, see some monsters?
1: Yeah, I mean, that would be fun.
0: No. I was trying to make it sound like the Monsters was a bad idea.
1: But we can do a camping trip and then just have a lot of fun and be outdoorsy and shit.
0: Okay, that sounds fun. Yeah. (laughs) But there's Land Otters who will turn us into Land Otters.
1: I know, but then there's also like a bunch of haunted places we can go visit and all that stuff, so...
0: You're just trying to freak me out now, aren't you?
1: Oh, yeah. Ooh. But that's my job.
0: That's true. Well, that is all I have for today, Adi.
1: Oh, nice, nice. Do you want me to take us out?
0: Go for it.
1: All right. So if you guys want to email us, you can do so at vileandvice at gmail.com. That's V-I-L-E-A-N-D-V-I-C-E at gmail.com. If you want to support us, you can do so with a once time or one-time payment at paypal at the same email address or on patreon at www.patreon.com backslash v-i-l-e-a-n-d-v-i-c-e no ampersands here if you want to follow us you can follow us on facebook or instagram at Vileandvice vice podcast and then at twitter at Vileandvice. vice again that's a-n-d no ampersands here and it we're also on youtube uh that's just under my personal, uh, tag name of Audi Girl 16, because I made it when I was 16, so forever ago, and then I am gonna start a TikTok with miniature stories here, so keep an eye out for that, but yeah, that's all I got, and-
0: Oh, miniature stories.
1: Yeah, just like a couple minute rundown of each episode, and maybe like a teaser for the upcoming week, and all that stuff, so- Cool. I'll, I'll kinda do that as we go. Awesome. Yep, yep. Try to well, get if, on all the platforms, you know.
0: <laughs> oh, there's a lot of platforms to get on. So yeah. good work. Well, thanks for listening. Hope you don't become a land otter. Bye bye.
1: Bye. Thank you for listening to Violin Vice. Cover art is by Audie Griffith. Music by Annabelle Rivak. If you want to help support the show, please visit patreon.com slash fileandvice, or give us five stars on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to. This helps us move up the charts, and also helps keep the spooky stories coming. Thank you.